Hello and welcome to the first stack of 2023. This week I speak with the team behind Forbes Ukraine and how they made a magazine during an unprecedented time for the country. Plus, Davi Uskisa from Buffalo Zine and their new impressive edition. Enjoy the show. From Midori Housing London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Forbes Ukraine is one of the very few magazines still operating in the war-torn country today. Since Russia's invasion, the editors have battled shelling, curfews and blackouts to publish three special print editions, as well as online throughout the war. And there's a new fourth print edition out as well. I had the pleasure to speak with Katya Sodak, editorial director of Forbes International Editions, Volodymyr Fedorin, founding editor and publisher of Forbes Ukraine, and Victoria Irtlak, CCO for Forbes Ukraine. Katya Sodak and Volodymyr Fedorin, welcome to Monaco 24. We're going to talk about something super interesting here, which is about the work you guys do for Forbes Ukraine. My first question goes to you, Katya. I know, uh, I know you work with all the other international editions for Forbes, but I think the Ukrainian one is very you know, important for you for several reasons, not only because of what happened uh, to Ukraine this year, but even there's a personal connection as well, right? Yes, absolutely right. I am born and raised in Ukraine. I moved to the States when I was already half formed. So Ukrainian identity is very strong in me. And I work as the editorial director for Forbes International Editions. And I work with partners around the world, everywhere but Asia. And Ukraine always had a special place in my heart and in my professional life, because that's what I know. This is uh, what I started reporting about when I became a journalist in the United States. And when we brought Forbes to Ukraine a few years ago and started working with Volodymyr and his team, it uh, became a big part of my work in addition to all the other countries that I work with. And uh, this personal connection allowed me to write articles or to facilitate reporting that our team here in the U.S. was doing with actual Ukrainian sources in Ukraine, not just the internet browsing like it happens sometimes these days or not speaking to actual people not knowing the culture. And Forbes Ukraine is enormous resource for us and for everybody who, who, who needs to report or know about Ukraine. That's fantastic. Volodymyr, my next question goes to you. You're the founding editor and publisher of Forbes Ukraine. I mean, it's fascinating that after everything, you guys still published, in fact, I believe three printed editions, the work online, you're about to publish a new one. Tell me about the, the challenges, because when did you guys have a meeting when the invasion started sometime in February to actually remain in the country? Tell me about the challenges and the remaining challenges. I mean, there's still quite a lot of challenges in making a magazine under the circumstances. I think that it would be more correct to describe our activities as journalism because magazine is only one of our platforms. 
we have a magazine, we have the site, we have uh, conferences. And by the way, yesterday we held an annual ceremony, Entrepreneur of the Year. And now we are very busy looking how to spend $150,000 that were brought by one of our guests for rebuilding schools in uh, Kiev Oblast. Uh, it was improviso auction, and we didn't expect it to have such good results. So to, to quote Hemingway, step by step, then, then suddenly. This is about how, how do you adapt to absolutely drastic change in your life, in your business, in the, the whole course of the history, because nobody who was born in post-Soviet republics, or almost nobody would expect that they will see something like uh, their grandmothers and grandfathers live through. So, of course, we had almost a year to prepare ourselves to take some measures in case the expression begins. We planned before the invasion that we rent a hotel in the western Ukraine for relocating there, a part of our team. And it proved to be quite a useful arrangement. But in any case, uh, you can't prepare for this kind of invasion when the mighty and very aggressive neighbor comes to you from the north, from the east, from the south. And I think that first days, first weeks were devoted for evacuating part of the team, especially women, but not Victoria. Victoria refused to, to be evacuated and she tells her story. It's very, very important to personify this spirit of Ukrainian resistance. But part of the team should be evacu evacuated to the Western Ukraine. We tried several new approaches to reporting, new formats, new mediums, new media, social media especially. But when we understood that this war here to stay, unfortunately, we asked hard questions ourselves whether or not our journalism is about, first of all, about quality of storytelling, quality of finding ideas, frontier ideas, innovative ideas. Is it up to the task to be here with our readers who think about very, very, very simple uh, issues? How to, to stay alive, for example, how to evacuate, how to find shelter, food, uh, water, whether or not our heroes, Ukrainian entrepreneurs, Ukrainian businessmen are here still to, to be our heroes, to tell their stories and, and so on and so on. And I think that maybe the most important fact was that my partner, he said, why don't we do the printed issue, the war notwithstanding? We have to show that we are here, that we are still producing our reporting. I, I, I like uh, crazy ideas. This is why I was absolutely for printing. But Boris, the editor-in-chief who was with the team, he, who with very bad or almost without internet, he, he said, 
it's a bad idea. We we, we can't do it. But we, uh, I and Boris, we are here with Forbes for more than 10 years. So step by step, we persuaded and him and he, the editorial team that it's completely possible because there was a second factor. Yes, of course, it's hard to work without adequate facilities, without communications or with bad communication, but it's still possible. But whether is it possible to stay relevant, to be the voice of entrepreneurial capitalism amidst the war? And this was the maybe the hardest challenge to find out how to report for our readers about this kind of business environment, businessmen, entrepreneurs, small businesses, uh, big, big companies. And I think th- this was our real discovery that we find out that it was possible. It was possible. And uh, before the war, nobody could uh, predict that it was possible. Now we, we can share this knowledge uh, with the world. It's still possible to fight the war and remain entrepreneurial, remain inventive in order to adapt in order to save as much uh, lives as possible and to win. That's fantastic. Well, and I'm very glad you guys saw this battle as well to put the magazine out there, an amazing coverage, not just in print, but also online. I want to bring Victoria here to the conversation. Victoria, of course, you work at Forbes Ukraine. I mean, but your job, I guess, completely changed this year. Tell us a bit more because you very much worked on the front line, right? Tell us about the coverage that you did for Forbes this year. Oh, it's a great challenge. It was a great challenge and it's a great challenge for me now uh, because almost every week we have massive missile attacks. We have total blackouts and from the first day of the war we decided to stay in Kiev to defend Kiev and I also had new experience to serve in territorial uh, defense forces from March till summer. And I combined this service with work our, in Forbes because it was very important. And uh, Vladimir decided to make first issue, I remember the date, on the 9th of March. It was the beginning. And... It sounded strange for me, for team, but after a few hours, we decided that we have to encourage each other to encourage business. Um, Katya, I just want to ask as well, we, we heard from you know Victoria Volodymyr as well about the amazing work they did under the circumstances. How... Forbes, you know, as a company, as this impressive company with 49 international editions, how did you guys support clearly, like one of your titles, there was, you know, it was under a different circumstance compared to the other ones. I want to know more about how, how did you help? I mean, did, did they collaborate with the other editions as well from, the, from other countries? Well, Forbes Ukraine, without exaggeration, was always one of our best editions because they're very entrepreneurial, very creative. You know, it's more just journalism. It's also this whole ecosystem around the brand in Ukraine. And when the war started and from the U.S., of course, our team here did not really expect them to 
publish or to continue as normal because the world is turning upside down. We hear about people migrating, running away. And also Kiev at the beginning of the war, the first two months was the epicenter of some really bad things happening. So when they said that they're going to publish a print edition, I think our team members could not believe it, what we heard, because it just seemed out of anything that's possible but they made it happen and i also want to say that they uh, valodia and his team they changed the language they created the whole edition in english it's not an english-speaking country it's not like you know it's very easy like in some countries english is the second language and everybody speaks it but they produce this high quality content that the entire world could understand because it sort of like opened the window into the country that in some ways is still a little bit behind some or was at that time behind some closed doors because of the language a lot of interesting stories a lot of people a lot of trends are not really easily accessible by those who are not uh, eastern europeans and they created this magazine they just opened that window and anyone could take a peek at this very rich very vibrant business community entrepreneurial community and at the time of war into this spirit that is very hard to translate sometimes especially from the western perspective where a lot of people are removed and they don't understand the nuances they didn't know now people know a lot more but april even may i think people were still learning about ukraine it was not quite open to people who never really cared about eastern central Europe or former Soviet Union countries. And I think they did an amazing job by providing this information. We published daily news feed that is uh, facilitated by Forbes Ukraine, because I think uh, it's very important to provide a perspective of Ukrainian journalists and reporters, not just about big geopolitical you know, shifts. And also, I think because a lot of things are happening in Russia, the narrative of this war gets hijacked by reporting on Russia. So many things are happening, you know, that might be important, sure, for the course of this war, but we don't want to lose sight from what's happening in Ukraine. And in this case, daily reporting about small things that happen, but they actually create this narrative of the war and the war crimes and atrocities and destruction that Russia is doing in Ukraine. And uh, we collaborate with Forbes Ukraine on providing this very meticulous, you know, not glamorous, but very, very important coverage. And uh, all our partners around, I would say, around the globe as well, but mostly Eastern and Central European countries, they were so shocked by this war. They were personally, I think, as people, as human beings who are editors and publishers, they were affected by this big shift in the world that we were living in and before the rest of the world you know western europe or the united states or some other countries that are far away from ukraine understood what's happening they were already working on helping ukraine uh, creating and publishing issues with covers that would support ukraine and ukrainian people and basically delivering the message to the world that it's not just russia fighting ukraine 
it's uh, and ukraine is not just fighting russia ukraine is defending the entire civilized world and it's a little bit more than just media world or media work but they had the understanding and they were there to broadcast the message and of course the conversation about doing something with forbes ukraine maybe in poland maybe in other countries it's an ongoing conversation because a lot of ukrainians moved across the border or there's a lot more collaboration happening now between businesses and plans for the future um it's i think it's really good that we had this network of highly educated and informed editors and publishers who basically stepped in and we can rely on them in general for any journalistic activities or any media related activities okay. and the, i just want to add that forget about the fact that i'm ukrainian but in the united states our entire company i wouldn't say i know for a fact for everybody but the general notion is that we just admire what forbes ukraine is doing because it's just very it's, it's difficult to produce content and magazines to begin with but to do it during the time of war when your personal lives are you know turned upside down the whole country is going through something horrible and then publishing print magazine publishing daily content and generating ideas uh, i think everybody just admires the work that they're doing that's fantastic i was going to ask you finally followed me as well you guys have a new print edition coming out soon i believe right i wonder if you can tell us about some of the stories that have been covered because that's been a fascinating thing the content you guys are having to produce stories that perhaps you know a few years ago you wouldn't do it but for example i there was a list of 209 ukrainians entrepreneurs that are actually also serving in the army i mean it's a completely different type of content right yes of course and i didn't expect it that i i would go to the front lines to cover the activities of an entrepreneur who being a multimillionaire uh, gathered a battalion uh, and brought his friends his employees volunteers of course to the front line defending kharkiv by the way so i'm very proud that in uh, august i've been in kharkiv and i've seen how these guys were feeling uh, themselves and russians were in 700 meters from them and there was shelling not as as in uh, eastern uh, or in donbas but still hundreds of shells uh, per day and this was more or less respite on this front line and it's quite interesting how people are changing how they change their priorities how they focus all their life around this thing defending their country and as you know there are hundreds maybe thousands of stories that are not told yet and i think that forbes ukraine will tell them in months even in years ahead on the other hand the situation makes us much more focused on the future how to rebuild the country after the war is won nobody is in doubt that we'll win but we have already had to rebuild it in our minds already now and somebody just plans some uh, 
maybe as we at Forbes Ukraine, Katya mentioned a lot of help and support we, we've got from our neighbors in Eastern and Central Europe. But I think that next year Forbes Ukraine will be active in building much more efficient network with our colleagues who are much more relevant now for Ukrainian businesses, Ukrainian entrepreneurs who on their part become much more uh, expensive uh, because I think that for thousands of businesses, uh, the future lies in Europe. And it means that they should adapt to new practices, to, to know a lot about regulation, about culture, business culture in neighboring countries where they are, which they are looking at as a possible place of for relocation or maybe opening new offices or maybe evacuating their employees or maybe expanding sales and so on and so on. So we are already in our minds much more global and I think this will be the the next step we have to to make in the next year in order to be useful for our audience. Last but not least, we have to rethink how our country should be governed, how we should regulate economy, how we should tax businesses, how should we attract talents to the country. I think this is a lot of, of work, a lot of work, and we are busy in thinking these matters through, in helping our audience to formulate issues and to look for solutions. Thank you very much, and what a great job they've all been doing. And a reminder that Forbes Ukraine, December 2022, January 2023 magazine is out now. And now, always a favorite of the stack, Buffalo Zine, a magazine that likes to surprise us. For their 16th edition, Buffalo Zine takes place entirely within the walls of New York City's legendary Chelsea Hotel, a residence and a refuge for an extended list of cult artists and rare individuals. Well, to tell me more is the magazine's managing editor, Davi Huskisa. Always a pleasure having you here at Monaco 24. And, you know, you're one of my favorites to interview for the stack because literally every issue is something completely different. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you guys do it. It's challenging, right? Yeah, we redesign the magazine with every issue, so it's not very practical, but we like the change. I think it's important. And before we talk about this issue in particular, I read the first page, that actually you guys always thought about doing something in a hotel, right? You just yes. didn't know which one. Yes, that's right. So it was an idea that was sitting there, but we didn't know quite where to do it. But last spring we heard, we got an email from PR Consulting, who is the PR agency who manages the Chelsea Hotel, announcing that the hotel was going to reopen after the summer. 
after being closed for about 12 years. So we thought, let's try to do our hotel issue at the Chelsea Hotel. Like It's the best hotel we could ever think of for this project. And after a few calls and a little bit of back and forth, they agreed. They generously gave us access to stay there for a couple of weeks while we producing this issue. And they recently reopened as well. Mm -hmm. So there is kind of a a, a new spec to it as well. Yes. So the hotel is over 100 years old and it's gone through a lot of cycles from like luxury hotel to dodgy apartment building. And it had like a very iconic era in the 60s, 70s, where a lot of artists were living there. And then it went down in decay. And then it closed down around 2010. It's been closed down as a hotel for the last 12 years. And it's just reopened. It's been all done up. And it now is, again, a luxury hotel. But some of the residents, who some of them have lived there since the 70s, 80s, are still living there. So it's like a coexistence of these two worlds like the tourists who stay there and the uh, all-time residents it's very strange i love that that probably makes it even more interesting of a place to do a magazine totally yeah 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 yeah. it's full of stories and i love you know there's very interesting people at the magazine i'm looking here with the special cover with marina bramovic it seems to me that there's a very strong connection to kind of names from the cultural world as well Yeah, it has a very magnetic energy. Even Marina, when she went to the hotel, she got imbued by the, let's say, cheeky spirit of the Mm. Chelsea Hotel. And she gave us this cover that when we received the images, we were like really, really happy to see them. You can see it online. Everyone has like a interest for the story of the hotel whether because they've been before if they're a little bit older and they have some stories of staying or or visiting or even the young people from newer generations who've never never even accessed the hotel because it's been closed down like I said for the last 12 years have a lot of interest even you can see standing by the hotel you see continuously like tourists taking pictures going in and out and actually when you arrive there after all the stories you've heard and, and all the things you've seen it feels a bit like going into I don't know a sort of museum or a legendary space I love that. And and, and I, I love, as well, of course, I don't mind a, a kind of a minimalist hotel, whatever, but it feels a little bit almost decadent. I like mm. that. And you can see that in the photography in the new issue. For example, I have this image of, of, of Jane Pan as well in a, in a bathtub with champagne, kind of this classic celebrity goes on a rampage in a, in a bedroom, you know? Yeah, champagne and beer topless in a bathtub, very Chelsea hotel. Yeah, I think that's so important in a way. And, and what about to get all those names? Did you deliberately try to look for people that had some connection with the hotel or sometimes it was quite Mm -hmm. random meetings that happened yeah so it's a very new york issues and the idea was to feature iconic names from really connected to the history of the hotel but also to draw like a new generation of artists from the creative community of new york today and the list of features is a mix of both. For example, Viva Hoffman, who was a Warhol superstar and lived in the hotel, is there. Also Christopher Marcos from the Andy Warhol circle. Who else is there? Harry Smith, John Waters, but also younger people like Chloe Sivigny, Earth Theater, Miranda July. Who else is there? Nene Sherry. And a great bunch of people, right? Yes, 
And I have here actually your interview. You did this interview with John Waters. I mm -hmm. mean, such a legend. Yes, he is. Very, very good fun there. He's a gentleman. Well. Is he a gentleman? Mm, absolutely. He's very sweet. He looks a bit grumpy <laughs> at first time, <laughs> but he's a really sweet man. What's your experience actually with the Chelsea Hotel? I know, did you knew just kind of, you know, the legendary stories or perhaps have you been there before the reopening? No, just outside. I think last time I went to New York a few times ago, I kind of passed by but you couldn't really enter and the restaurant and, and the bar at the, at the on the ground floor were closed down the experience was very special because first of all I've never stayed in a hotel for such a long time and also such a nice hotel I could never afford to stay there for mm. a couple of weeks because those rooms come at a very high price so I was feeling very rich staying there and it's very it's been very nicely done up but also it's just so loaded with history and the atmosphere is still kind of like very very heavy and very I don't know, you can feel the weight of history of everyone who's been around. It's kind of like a very tight, condensed space. It's very vertical. It actually was one. Of, uh, it was the tallest building of in New York, in Manhattan, when it was built yeah. in 1884. But the actual surface is not very big. So the lobby area, the restaurant, uh, the Spanish restaurant uh, on the ground floor, the lobby bar, all of those spaces are kind of like very tight and condensed. And then you have all this stream of guests going by and also the residents who stay there. So it was very immersive and also for us as a team making the magazine all together staying there in such a packed tight space and time was like a summer camp because we had the opportunity to have the uh, human interaction with the people who was being featured with the artists. We usually don't even meet the people we feature in the magazine in person. We commission other writers or contributors to interview them. But in this case, it was more participative because we did some of the interviews, we shot some of the images, and it was just like being there as a spectator, uh, watching it all happen and unfold. And I love that you mentioned that you stayed in a, for a long time at the hotel because that's always mm. been a dream of mine. Spend mm. like a month like living <laughs> luxuriously and decadent in a hotel, especially like the Chelsea. Isn't it great? Yeah. It, no, it is amazing. And and now talking, we're talking that about how about every issue of Buffalo Zine is completely different from each other. Do you fear that you might repeat yourself soon? Because, I mean, I've been following the magazine from the beginning. You guys come up with a very original idea every time. What's the process like to actually choose? This one, for example, you told me that you always wanted to do a hotel and then by kind of a, a lucky coincidence, by a few emails, then you, you arrange that. But how do you choose? Do you already know, for, you don't need to say it right now, but you already know like for the next two issues what the theme would be? Only one issue ahead uh, mm. usually, but we don't really plan so far ahead. It's basically we try to go in a different direction with every issue because once you've been immersed in like a very specific world, whether it's like a, a Gen Z issue or an issue about the Internet or about food or interiors or traveling, you kind of want to refresh your mind and change and go in a different direction so that's what we try to do with every issue and there's always a lot of bandwidth I think to do something new and go somewhere we haven't been before I hope that's the uh, intention I like your answer because sometimes I feel especially with a biannual magazine too much planning ahead actually it can almost kill the creativity as well at some point, right? Because mm. then you're like, oh, but actually my vibe is not that anymore. Mm. Do you feel the similar? Yeah, well, that's um, 
that's the thing. It's uh, about being kind of in tune with the times and mm -hmm. uh, what's happening right now, what's the mood in the room. However, sometimes there's things that we'd like to do that need a lot of planning in advance or people would love to feature that need to, that would work greatly for an issue specifically because it's about something related to them, but not for the next one. So it's sometimes a little bit complicated to work with these very tight times and, and, and deadlines. I guess you're going to be a regular at the Hotel Chelsea from now on, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, but to be honest, I don't know when I'm going to have the chance to stay there again. And revisiting some of the amazing uh, interviews, I, I, I'll never forget that shoot you guys did with Christine Quinn as well. I mean, from Selling Sunset, yeah, that was such an amazing... Yes. That's still one of my favorites, you I have to Christine, say. You love Christine, don't you? I love Christine. I don't know why, but I do. Are you still following Selling Sunset? Yes, but is there a new season? Out? I think I lost track after the fourth one. I'm, I'm losing sure. a bit track, but I, I, for some reason it was fascinating. And, mm. and, but that photo shoot was quite special. Yes, she's great. She was a superstar. And what about, in terms of you and, and Adrian, how do you divide in terms of the design of the magazine the content is it really collaborative in every single aspect or there's quite clear divisions what you do or uh, adrian as well do yeah we have we have some div divisions of functions adrian takes care of the fashion together mm -hmm. with tati our fashion director and i take care of the features together with andy our features editor and i also design the magazine And, of course, you, you've guys done eight covers for it, right? Mm -hmm. I think I have quite a precious one in front of me, the Marina Abramovic one. Because yes. some covers, I guess, they're not available anymore. It's actually sold out because it's sold very quickly on the website, but it's still available in stores worldwide. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks, as ever, to our editor, Adam Heaton. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember... We're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, you can always listen again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And before we go, a little song for you. Nene Cherry with Buffalo Stance. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye. Good today. Who's looking good in air?